how the Lord brought salvation to the earth. And we're going to focus this evening on the value of the gospel. The value of the gospel. Now you're wondering what happened to my tie. Okay. What happened to my tie? I'll tell you what, here's what happened. Okay. I was back there in the restaurant and I bent over. My tie got too close to this new toilet and I flushed and it was gone. It was gone. I, oh, I'm thankful it wasn't my glasses. What happened? I mean, that, it would be gone. And don't lose your Bible back there either. Well, I tell you what, we have gone power to, to some degree with these, with these toilets. Okay. You know, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, little ones. I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. But you're going to be thinking about that later, aren't you, Nathan? You are. I know the gospel has value for a number of reasons. We'll just mention one as we get started. There's a, there's a passage over in Ephesians 3, verses 7, 8, and 9. Ephesians 3, 7, 8, and 9. Where Paul says that um, this gospel of which I was made a minister... It was given to me by the grace of God, and he says a part of it was that I would uh, go to the Gentiles and preach to them the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, we know the gospel is valuable, valuable because Paul calls it the unsearchable riches of Christ. Way over 90 times in the New Testament we find the word gospel in some form or another, and you know what it means. It's explained to us in Luke 2 and verse 10 when they announced, the angels announced the birth of Jesus. They said, Behold, we bring you what? We bring you good news of great joy. That is a complete translation of the idea of the gospel. Good news of great joy. That's what the gospel is okay, in, in just a simple form. We want to expand on this tonight and look and see the value of the gospel. Three categories. Three categories. Don't get overly excited about it. Three categories. First category will be this. The sacred possession. Sacred possession. And the second category will be some practical benefits of the gospel. And then the third category will be our personal involvement in the, in the gospel. So let's start with this category of a sacred possession of the gospel. Now I'm not, into, I'm not into knowing the value of the possessions that famous people have owned. But I did Google and I thought about Elvis and I thought, well, what are some valuable things that he owned? And, and I, this popped right up. Okay, this popped right up that the guitar he used in his final concert in 1977 was sold eventually for $1.1 million. I don't know if it's been resold for more than that, but that's something uh, that popped up. But it reminds us that sometimes uh, who owns a thing determines the value of a thing. So we notice the sacred possession of the gospel. Now, just a few phrases here, a few phrases in the New Testament. Okay, I'll go ahead and give you the phrases, and then we'll go back into it for just a minute. Okay. The gospel is sometimes called the gospel of God, 
Romans 1 verse 1. Sometimes the gospel is called the gospel of Christ. Mark 1 verse 1. Sometimes the gospel is called the gospel of the grace of God. Acts 20 verse 24. Sometimes the gospel is called the gospel of your salvation. Ephesians 1 verse 13. Sometimes the gospel is called the gospel of peace, Ephesians 6, verse 15. And sometimes it's called the gospel of the kingdom of God, Matthew 4, 23. You see, God possesses the gospel. Okay. So in, in Romans 1, verse 1, it simply says, Paul says, I've been, I've been set apart for the gospel of God. Okay. Let's just think about that. Why is it called the gospel of God? Well, first of all, the gospel tells us a lot of things about God. It tells us a lot of things about Him. Okay, you can get your own concordance, but you just run through the concordance, you see that God is a lot of things. God is love. God is a consuming fire. God is eternal. God is the God of all comfort. God is the God of all grace. You can get your own concordance and see, but the gospel is the gospel of God because it tells us a lot about him. But it's also the gospel of God because it comes from God. The gospel comes from God. We read in 2 Peter 1.21, Peter says, No prophecy of Scripture ever, ever came from the will of man, but holy men from God spoke as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 and 16, every scripture is inspired of God. So it's the gospel of God because it tells us a lot about God, but it's the gospel of God also because it came from God. And it's the gospel of God also because it's a lot like God. For example, God is the eternal God from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God, Psalm 90. One and two, but God's word, the gospel, is eternal as well. Okay, and we understand that. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. Okay. So it's the gospel of God, it's the gospel of Christ, it's the gospel of the grace of God, it is the gospel of peace. So let's just think about it. Why would it be called the gospel of the grace of God? Acts 20. And 24. Well, that reminds us that God in His grace and through the gospel wants to rescue us from being lost in sin. Out of His goodness, He wants to rescue us from being lost in sin. It also reminds us as God offers the gift of salvation that we are very undeserving of it. We are absolutely un... We, un, we are not deserving God's salvation. Okay, That's why it's called Acts 20, 24, the gospel of the grace of of God. Okay. Well, it's called the, um, the gospel of your salvation, Ephesians 1.13, we mentioned a moment ago. Okay. Well, obviously, Romans 1.16 says, um, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. That's exactly what we're trying to discover and review this morning when we simply look at the words of Jesus to see what we must do to be saved. It is the gospel of our salvation. It leads us down the path so that we can come in contact with the blood of Jesus and receive forgiveness of our sins, you see. And so it has a sacred possession about it. 
It's called the gospel of peace, Ephesians 6, verse 15, because when you submit to the gospel and receive forgiveness of sins, it brings the peace, and only, it's only through this gospel, it's only through the blood of Jesus that we can receive this peace with God and peace with ourselves. Now, people will find peaceful spots on earth. People will find uh, periods of time where, where they feel like that they are calm, but those are at best temporary. The only way of receiving true peace is to have peace with God through the gospel and the blood of Jesus. It's called the gospel of the kingdom of God uh, in Matthew 4 and verse 23 because when you submit to the, to the requirements of the gospel, then you're, you enter into the church, you enter into the kingdom of God. Okay. So we're, see how we're not chasing down each of these? We're just mentioning these just to show that the gospel is valuable because of who possesses it. Who brought it to the earth? Okay. Second category. We know it's valuable because it has some very practical benefits for us. Practical benefits. Number one is it tells us about Jesus. Hands down, case closed. The gospel. Can you find out any real information about Jesus, the greatest, the greatest person ever to step on this earth? Can you find out anything about him other than through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, if we didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what would we know about Christ? That's very beneficial to us, isn't it? In other words, what we're doing here is we're saying, okay, the gospel means good news of great joy. Okay, what's so good about the gospel? Number one, it tells us about the greatest man ever. It tells us about Jesus. I mean, who else? John 8, 46. Have you ever heard anybody like Jesus say in John 8 and 46? He says, which of you convicts me of sin? I mean, what other person on earth has ever been able to look among the masses and say, which of you convicts me of sin? They could not convict him of sin. And a lot of them knew that. They knew that. Jesus says in John 8, 29, I always do those things pleasing unto my Father. No other person who stepped on this earth has been able to say that. No wonder, no wonder we're encouraged in 1 John 2 and verse 6 to walk even as he walked. Our big goal is to try to be like him and walk as he walked. Number one benefit of, of the goodness of the gospel is it tells us about Jesus. A second benefit of the gospel is it tells us about the plan of Jesus. The plan of Jesus. You see, Jesus is very, very good, but we're not. Now, some people think they're pretty close to Jesus and being good, but they're not, because Paul says in, in Romans 3, 9 and 10, there are none righteous, no, not one, and that creates a problem between us and God. But thankfully, Jesus is so good. How good is he? Jesus is so good that he is qualified, he was qualified to take our place on the cross. He's the only one that could do that. And he's qualified to pay the price with his own blood. You see, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He who knew no sin became sin in our behalf. He's so good. 
He was able to take our place on the cross and to pay the price for sin. Jesus is so good. Well, Paul, Paul says it like this. Romans uh, 3, you start reading about verse 21, but he, he mentions this idea that, that, that through the cross, God became both just and the justifier. You ever heard that phrase? God, God the Father became both just and justifier. That is, that through Jesus on the cross, the Father was able to preserve His holiness okay, because God cannot have fellowship with sin. But in His wisdom, God determined that if a price, if the perfect price was paid for sin, then He could have fellowship with us. So on the one hand, the cross helped the Father to preserve His holiness, His integrity, and at the same time offer pardon and forgiveness to sinful humanity, which is us. And so the gospel explains that to us, you see. And that's very beneficial to us. Okay. So think about that. Those, those four words especially. Jesus took our place. He paid the price. He helped preserve the Father's holiness. And at the same time, He offered pardon to us. Cross. Cross. What a gift. What a gift. And so it's beneficial to us because of Jesus' plan. But a third reason it's beneficial to us is because of the impact it has upon our behavior. That's right. Well, where's the phrase from? Where's it from? Such were some of you. Remember that phrase? Such were some of you. Yeah, right. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Such were some of you. And what had Paul done in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11? Well, he had named off a, some folks who had been involved in, per, in some pretty um, evil stuff. Evil sins. Now, every sin is evil, but s some had been drunkards, some had been fornicators, some had been uh, just involved in those idolaters, so forth. Okay. But such were some of you. In other words, they no longer were that. What had happened? The gospel had gotten a hold of them. You see. In Galatians 1, 23, here, here's the statement. He who once made havoc, persecuted the faith, is now doing what? He's preaching the faith. What happened there? Again, Paul became accustomed. Paul became associated with Paul became knowledgeable of the pure gospel of Jesus and that, that changed his behavior. Okay. Romans uh, 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The gospel can transform our very lives. And that's, that's very beneficial. Very beneficial. Where would we be? What kind of darkness would, would we be walking around in if we didn't have the, the gospel of the New Testament? A fourth benefit of the gospel is it's so simple. It's so simple. Simple. The simplicity of it. It's, it's difficult to understand why more and more people just can't simply take the great commission given in the New Testament by Jesus and then, and then take the, the conversions that happen in the book of Acts and just, and just make a chart. Just make a chart. Just make a list. And so, well, here's, here's what Jesus said do. Here's what they went and did. And here's what they did to, 
to form a relationship with him and receive forgiveness of sins, why can't you just make that chart and then obey? It really is that simple. That's, that's another thing we're trying to, to show this morning by simply looking at a few statements from Jesus, from his own words, and see what people did to receive the forgiveness of sins. We make it hard. There was a, a brother back of what we call the Restoration Movement back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. His name was H. Leo Bowles. H. Leo Bowles. If you, if you have the Gospel Advocate Commentary set, then H. Leo Bowles wrote a couple of those commentaries. And he said this. He said, he said man has muddied the waters of an otherwise clear and crystal stream. He's referring to the gospel. And the article he wrote, when he wrote that in the Gospel Advocate a long time ago, but he was referring to, the, the article was called the, the Simplicity of the Gospel. And it's always been simple. It is mankind who has, who has muddied the waters. Okay. So it's beneficial because it's so plain, it's so clear. It takes really a lot of bad help to misunderstand what Jesus says. Unfortunately, there's a lot of bad help out there in the world. And then a fifth benefit of the gospel is it gives us that hope. It gives us that hope. There's a question asked way back in Job 14, verse 14. If, if a man dies, shall he live again? What is the answer of the gospel? Absolutely. In fact, Jesus' own resurrection is a guarantee of our future resurrection and the hope of eternal life. And you read about that in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, 21, 22, and 23. He, Jesus' resurrection there, Jesus is called the first fruits, the guarantee. Since Jesus was actually raised from the dead, then that is a guarantee that we will be also. And Paul says this in Colossians 1, 23. He says, don't you dare be moved away from the hope of the gospel. You be grounded, you be steadfast, you be sure-footed, you be rooted and grounded. Do not let yourself be moved away from the hope of the gospel. You see how beneficial it is? Okay. That's why the gospel is called the good news. Finally, the third category this evening is one's, um, it's valuable because of, of a person's personal involvement in the gospel. Personal involvement. Do we need illustrations on this kind of thing? I think not, but others think so. Let's just think, okay, do you like a good, do you like a good juicy steak? I mean, if you're hungry, Brother Nathan, do you like a good juicy steak? Okay. And so you have a good juicy steak right there in front of you, okay, and you're hungry. What are you going to do? Okay. What if you just left it alone? I mean, someone has gone to the trouble to prepare this good, juicy steak, and you're hungry, and you like it, and you just leave it alone, you just walk away. Right. This is why this category of the valuable of the gospel is probably the most important category, our own personal involvement in it. Because we can recognize and see how good it is, but if we don't, if we don't involve ourselves, if, if we don't embrace the gospel... If we don't learn about it and try to carry it out in our lives, then it's of no value to us. And so being personally involved with it is very important. And there are some obvious things, okay, obvious things. Okay. For example, 
Jesus says in Mark 1, verse 15, you need to repent and believe the gospel. So our responsibility, our obligation to the gospel is to believe it. Okay. Paul warns in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8 that the vengeance of God will come upon those who do not obey the gospel. And so we, we're obligated to believe the gospel and obey it. Okay, not everybody does it, but that's an obligation. And there's a warning tucked in behind it. Okay. But once we become a Christian, uh, the Lord expects us to get more and more involved in the gospel. Okay. We are told um, in Mark 16, 15 to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's an obligation. Paul says that in Philippians 1, 16, that he was set for the defense, the defense of the gospel. We are to defend the gospel. Okay. Those are obvious things. One I want to emphasize with you is, is going back to Romans 1, verse 1, where Paul talks about the gospel of God, and he said it this way. He says, I am, I am separated unto the gospel of God. Another way of, of saying the same thing is, I, am, I have been set apart for the gospel of God. Okay. Paul was conscious that God wanted him to be devoted among, among and above all other the, uh, of the affairs of life. He, wanted, God, he, he felt like he was conscious of the fact that God wanted him to be more devoted toward the living of the gospel and the sharing of the gospel more than anything else in, in the world. That's what he means there in Romans 1 verse 1. To be completely devoted to this above anything else that might be in the world. This is a very, very important statement. This requires us to be personally involved in the gospel. Not just, it's not just something we learn. Not just something we give an amen to. But it's something that we, it's something that we live out in our lives. Okay. Now... I have become more and more personally convicted that the gospel does not call for us. God does not call for us to be professionals. Okay. From the view of the New Testament, seemingly, you can disagree. If you're going to disagree with me, though, okay, don't get on some media place and say, I don't think that was right. Okay. You're going to disagree with me. Okay. Come see me personally and bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. Okay. But I've become more and more personally con convinced that you know, God's not looking for professionals for His church. In fact, from the New Testament standpoint, <clears throat> There doesn't seem to be any call for a professional. Why do I say that? Because being a Christian is a way of life. It's a way of life that you, that you choose. You choose. And God offers us this way of life. For me, personally, I just feel like I have chosen that. I chose it a long time ago. 
that this, this gospel effort is just a way of life. Just a way of life. Okay. I don't preach the gospel. Let me say this. I don't preach the gospel because I get paid to preach the gospel. There's no such thing. No such thing as getting paid to preach the gospel. No such thing as that. Okay. It's either a way of life or it's not a way of life. Okay. That's how Paul looked at it. And if, the, if Paul's going to be in the Bible and they're going to be talking to us today, then that's exactly how we ought uh, to look at it. Okay. I don't preach the truth because you guys want the truth. That's not the reason I preach the truth. Why do I preach the truth? Because it's who I am. What else would I do? You know, what else would I teach? I, have, I don't know what it would be. It's a, it's a way of life. It's, it's, it's God embracing us with His Word. Okay. And we're all in. We're all in. Okay. Does that make sense to you? And you say, well, I'm puzzled here. You know, no such thing as, as being paid to preach. Okay? Well, the Bible doesn't teach being paid to preach. Okay? You're either going to preach or you're not going to preach. Whether, you know, personally, I would do this. I would pay to do this. In fact, a lot of times I do. I would, I would pay to do this. It's... It's, it's an internal conviction. It's, it's, it's not because I didn't have anything else to do with my life. Okay? My dad tried to get me not to do this. He was scared to death. He offered me all sorts of options. Okay? A lot of freebies, son, if you just won't do this because he had seen how preachers were treated. Okay? I couldn't help but do it. Because it's just a way of life. Now the Bible teaches supporting the gospel and supporting men who preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9. But there's no such thing as paying someone to do. How do you pay someone to become a Christian? That don't happen. That's not, that's not New Testament. Okay. So when I read this with Paul, I've been thinking about this for for quite a while, all my life, really. Okay. And it makes a lot more sense with the, with the gospel. You know? this is, these are the three categories. God possesses the gospel. And with that gospel, we can find that peace. It is well with my soul. And with the gospel, we can come to know His grace reaches me. And then we can easily see why the gospel would be called the good news. It has many benefits for us, but we can't stop there. Okay. Am I willing to embrace, am I, am I willing to be in Christ and let Him be in me? Okay. Am I willing to be personally involved in the gospel? Okay. So just trying to relate to us what it is that, that that God has in mind for us. The Apostle Paul, maybe is, is Paul not a good example? What did Paul say in Philippians 1, 21, 22? For me to live is what? Was it a way of life for him? 
That's what it is. If we're going to be involved in the gospel, it, it is it's not something we do because it's some duty or some responsibility or because we're trying to organize ourselves this way or that. It's because we are convicted. We are down deep in our heart and soul. We are convicted. I can't do anything else but this because of my Lord Jesus. So in some way or another, we have to be involved in the gospel. In the gospel. And of course, I'm not saying that, that everyone should, should fly around and, and preach. There are many ways of being involved in the gospel. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit later. I just mentioned Kelly's mom. Kelly's mom would, was excellent at teaching the Bible through bulletin boards. Maybe some of you have got her little book on bulletin boards. But she enjoyed teaching Scripture and finding a way to, to express teachings of the Bible through bulletin boards. And this was way before all the opportunities we have now through various um, computerized elements. But anyway, that's how I wanted to expand upon the value of the gospel. These three uh, categories, appreciate you walking through this uh, with me this evening. And indeed, salvation has been brought down. And it's because of Christ and His gospel. What is your level of involvement? Does it consume you? Well, at least following the example of Paul and a few others, we see that it ought to consume us. The invitation of our Lord remains open. It's because of His love. It's because of His grace, His goodness. Hasn't He proven how much He loves us? In fact, that's what Romans 5 verse 8 says, isn't it? God, God has displayed His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We invite you home to God if you'd like to put uh, Jesus on in, in baptism this evening and receive forgiveness of your sins. If you've never uh, claimed that relationship with the Lord, we invite you to do so. Come right now as we stand. As we stand.